Hello. Welcome to the next episode of our West Coast Infidels podcast series. Once again, this is Vasant and I have with me our usual suspects, Vijay Kumar and Ramakrishnan. Today, we will be reviewing the third test of the ongoing Border Gavaskar series, which was comprehensively won by the Australians at Indore. Sure, we had a horrendous day one, wherein we were outplayed, bat and ball. And except for a short 30-minute phase on day two, there really was no fight back from Team India. That is very concerning. The knives are already out with a lot of chatter about the team being overconfident, being complacent, people bowling no balls at the wrong time, a lack of focus, some people putting social media messages, some others putting random YouTube videos. The only thing that was praised by one and all, well, mostly all, was that Ganshyam's son-in-law was going to be free to take up a role in Hera Ferry 3. Ram, your thoughts on what went wrong? It sort of really felt like a bad dream. To begin with, they were 80-odd for seven on the first day at lunch. And I think right there, the Aussies had completely taken control of the game. If at all, there was a session that, that Indians did well through the entire course of that test. It was possibly the second day during that small phase where they took six wickets for 11 runs. And even then, in the first half, Green looked very, very comfortable batting against them alongside Hanscom. So, as you say, comprehensively outplayed. If you win half a session out of a, the total duration of the test, you aren't going to go too high. But at the same time, as much as what the Indians did wrong, we should talk about what the Aussies did right. I thought, finally, in terms of squad selection, they got their teams right, their balance right. Cam Green did not do much with the ball, but he did play this very crucial innings with the bat that allowed them to take their 18 run. And secondly, Kuneman has really figured out how to bowl on these surfaces with that Pfeiffer. Very impressive for a guy playing his second test. And of course... Nathan Lyon has been simply tremendous. Now averages 26 in the 10 tests that he's played in India, which is very, very good. Just to give you a, a contrast, the great Shane Vaughan averaged 40 plus after playing nine tests in India. Lyon has been fantastic and sort of established himself as a great of the game. We could even say GOAT. On the Indian side, I'm actually quite glad there is some chatter on the effectiveness of the top order. There should be a few more questions raised around the effectiveness of both Kohli and Kujara. And Venki Prasad winning that little spat on Twitter may well be short-lived because if you look at how Gil played compared to Rahul, it's not much of a big upgrade either ways. His uh, innings, the second one particularly, you know, where he sort of stepped out and completely missed the ball was a very, very clumsy effort, I thought. So I'll finish with a small stat. Smith now joins a very small list of captains. Clive Lloyd, Hansi Cronier, Adam Gilchrist and Alistair Cook, all of whom have won at least two tests now in India. Vijay? That's indeed an interesting stat and also shows how dominant we have been over the years. This game, more than Lion, for me it has been about Captain Smith leading a very charmed life at the top. Unlike Cummins, he got many of his first choice players from the squad both in batting and bowl. In fact, the ones who came into the squad, Green, Stark, and Hedis kind of also proved his worth coming in from the previous game. Following that, I'm even wondering, should Cummins return for the final? Will he even be included into the squad, the winning squad, and will he indeed replace Stark? So those are some interesting questions for them. At the same time, Smith also showed his acumen in exploiting the DRS loopholes and uh, showing great cunning for, that is expected out of a captain in, in these trying circumstances. So in many ways, it was a throwback to that old Australian template, a batter captain calling tough shots from slip, 
So just begs the question, is this time for another change in the Australian captaincy? Because collectively, I think we've all forgotten and some might have even forgiven Sandpaper Gate. Beyond that, the Aussie catching, it was back on track. There's some great reflexive takes behind the wicket, even from Smith. The dismissal of Pujara was kind of really like the final nail in the coffin. So Australia, definitely on the rise. I don't know how this team does it, but they always find a way to claw their way back in. India. Indian team batting, which we kept wondering how they are being protected by the lawyer order, finally got exposed. It was, in retrospect, a bad toss to lose. And we were just not up to the task of playing in what looked like a third-day pitch from the get-go. So in the first innings, it felt like the top order was in a hurry to get back into the hut, starting with the captain walking down and completely missing the line of the delivery from Koneman. Uh... But what was really sad was to see the amount of uncertainty in short selection in what is really your bread and butter. A few thoughts around that. We have to dig up the stats, but I want to see how many of these top order batsmen besides Pujara have actually played in the longer format in domestic tournament. When was the last time that they had a prolonged run in the domestic tournament to be facing spinners and pace bowlers who are adept at bowling in the slow spinning tracks of India? I think their technique got exposed in this game and do they have enough time to have a reversal by the next game is what's to be seen. Then wasn't you mentioned about no balls at the wrong time. My question is what is the right time to bowl no ball? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> there is no right time, especially when a player like Jadeja, who's sort of a confidence player, you could see the amount of frustration he showed with the batting itself. He got reprieved through DRS the first time around. And immediately next ball, he tries to do something silly and, and got out. So headspace problems for Jadeja Vital Cog in the system means that you're not getting one of your two strike bowlers playing at an optimum level so while we cannot place all the blame on him his chaotic approach in this game threw away any momentum that the team had at any point that's again something that they should try and fix my worry is that they will now be in two minds if should they win the toss whether they go into bat or bowl and that is a big discredit to our bowlers because they have set up the game in two out of three games and even the third game, they kind of got going but just didn't have enough runs to defend. So batters have to come to the party by the fourth test. I was also wondering where we are with the WTC table. I think with this game, Australia are safely through. Yes, that's right. That is right. And India still needs to win one more. Yeah, India still needs to win the next one. If they don't win the next one, then they wait for the Lanka versus New Zealand series. The only outcome that will keep India out is Lanka winning 2-0. So Lanka winning one, drawing one, or winning one, losing one is good enough for India to qualify. Australia are through. I mean, if we had got that 4-0 outcome and if Lanka had won 2-0, then it might well have been an India-Lanka final, but that's now completely out. Australia have qualified. So the captain leaving the series midway is somehow working <laughs> always. So point to be... Particularly in the BGT. <laughs> this is the second time, right? And that too after heavy defeats. Yeah. That too after really heavy defeat. I'm in agreement with the two of you that batting frailty was cruelly exposed. We've been saying this for a while. We somehow scraped through in Mirpur 
thanks to Reyes and Ashwin taking us through and avoiding what have been a very, very embarrassing defeat. The first two games, it was the three spinning all-rounders that got us to some good numbers. And that didn't happen in this game. And what was worse to me was the lack of fight. But if you remember Bangalore in 2017, we did concede an 80-plus run lead in the first innings. But then Rahul scored 50 and Pujara hit a wonderful 92. And we somehow managed to scrape through and put together a 180-plus target, which was enough for our spinners and Umesh to run through. 76 is a bit of a joke. There was no way anything was going to happen other than a miracle. I do think that 109 all out in the first day pretty much cast the whole game one way. The fact that we fought back on day two with those six wickets in 30 minutes after drinks was outstanding. But again, the batters let us down. No matter which way you slice and dice it, our batters are simply not doing the job. Naming one or two doesn't really serve any purpose. Because honestly, other than Rohit Sharma, none of the others have really looked like they were going to take the game by the scruff of the neck. Uh, People have been looking good, people have been steady, people have been blocking, but just not happened. We all know another 30 minutes of Shreyas Iyer, for example, on that day, would have taken us to a 140 lead, which would have made a very different game. But it didn't happen, right? And you have to credit Nathan Lyon for his control in the second innings to make sure that India did not wriggle out of a difficult position. In every match, when the situation was tight or close, Australia was just slightly ahead. We somehow managed to work our way through and then close the game out. But Lyon pretty much closed the door very firmly at that and helped by some sloppy batting, I would say, especially in the first innings. Exactly. And another thing is that I thought the spinners were just unable to keep the pressure. I did hear some other opinions in some other podcast about how they were trying to look for the magic ball to take wickets because they were under pressure because of that 109 all out. It's partially true. It's not like they could just keep on bowling and pegging away and wait for them to make mistakes. Something that Murali Karthik said so many times in the commentary saying on these pitches, all you do is just bowl. Don't give an opportunity for the batsman to do anything. And that's what the Australians did. And our batters self-destructed. But our bowlers didn't. They kept on trying something or the other. And even though it looks like we had some good control on the last day of the game, up for up to 10 overs, the floodgates opened after that. I do think that the spinners could have been a little better, but it's very difficult to blame them, given that they were given a very poor set of cards to play with. We can blame the Jadeja, no ball and all that stuff, but this has been a long-standing problem. And... The issue with Jadeja is that it's not getting corrected. There's been another argument that Aksar has been underbowled. The fact is he has bowled 39 overs in the series and he's picked up one wicket. Averaging 100 plus. Yeah, averaging 100 plus. The other two spinners have been picking up wickets every five overs. Aksar may have been underbowled, but it's not like once he got a chance to bowl, he just kept the other guys out. Yeah. Even assuming his strike rate was in the... 30-35s. Not even sure if he really got a chance to bowl 35 balls in a spell. He was that underutilized. And there is an argument that he was underutilized as a batter as well. Batting at nine. I agree with that. I really think Aksar should have been batting much higher up. The way he played, especially in the first innings, common sense would have been to 
bat him higher. In fact, higher than I. And remember, they did that in Mirpur, remember, where they actually sent Jadeja, sorry, Akshara front. Akshar and Unadkat. They just completely neutralized that early thrust that the Bangladeshis had. Correct. If you remember during some of the domestics last year, some of these domestic teams used to send their tailenders up front to let things settle down before the main batters came in. Famously, Vijay Shankar, captain in Tamil Nadu. He said, Ravi Srinivasan, is it? Sai Kishore. Sai Kishore, yes. Throwback on Don Bradman, keeping himself back to bat at mm-hmm. 6 or 7, and then he made a double hundred, batting at 6 or 7. Same same tactic. Send the tailenders, uncovered pitch, moisture. Long story short, I thought this game was lost in the first session. Pretty much. 85 and or 7, you're done. Yeah. I mean, more than lost, we got behind the 8 ball. But we normally had a way to somehow do a little bit of a rope trick to get out of it. In the past, didn't work. And the same can be expected in following games if the batters don't come to the party. We cannot operate like this if our batters continue batting so poorly. I mean, I know last week we were talking about opposition teams not scoring 200. Where that is, is still true. Yes. That, that is, is still true. true. <laughs> the opposition teams are still not scoring 200. <laughs> but the batters in the Indian team are not scoring 50. Right? Any closing thoughts on this? Yeah, yeah, the other thing was around Kohli's batting position too. I just feel that we should rethink if swapping places with Tyre will make sense going forward. The reason being that he, he is definitely in good nick, but he needs to probably be given a different role. If a player who is doing well but not really going through in a certain role typically they try to change one of two things they try to move him up or down the order right to give him a better perspective of how to approach the game there is no such thing that this person should always play at number four no matter what the context of the game is so a little bit of flexibility in their approach might help Kohli. And Ayer plays the part. He's, he's definitely a good number four. He'll be a good foil for Pujara or whoever he partners at that point. So those are some of the things that they should be thinking about going forward. And anyway, you know, from a succession planning perspective, you know, we've got to figure out who is that next number four batter after Kohli is done. It could be Ayer, it could be, I don't know, someone else. But in the current 11, you have only Ayer. Yeah, fully think that the idea of having Ayer bat at four and Kohli at five makes a lot of sense. You know, let's see if he can make runs at that position. Do the Vivius Lakshman thing, batting at five. Shepard the tail, bat with them. Slightly different. But uh, he's looked totally solid against the spinners. Just give him some more responsibility and say, hey, Shepard in the tail. I mean, not quite the tail, the three all-rounders, and but whatever, whatever that is. Yeah. Might be worth a shot. We missed Panth. The most. Bharat is fine behind the stumps, but a Pant could have gone and taken the game by the scruff of his neck and just like hit some of these guys out of the attack. Yeah, I think this was the first time he actually missed Pant in the three tests. In the series, yeah. In the series. To be honest, those three guys, Jadeja, Ashwin and Aksar, didn't leave much for the others to do. Rohit got a hundred, but they pretty much carried the team on their shoulders. Pretty much. Was not allowed to, thanks to Mohammad Siraj. Ashwin and Jadeja, their bowling was a little off, not too much, just a little off. And that was enough, right? Even Umesh's excellence couldn't cover for that. I really wanted to weigh in on Mohammad Siraj the batter. He was instrumental 
in not making an effort really for the 10th wicket in both innings. In the first one, Akshar is pushing hard, trying to get a double. This guy is like hanging around on the other side saying, eh. And then he loses his wicket run out. In the second innings, he just gives it away. And, you know, really all he had to do was try and bat. Very materialish. The last time he batted in Ahmedabad, we saw what he did with Washington Sundar. Oh, that is a correct. Yeah, that is true. Right right after he hung around really well to help Ashwin get to his 100. And then goes over to Ahmedabad and then gives it away when Washington gets to 96. So, yeah. Wasn't that the last time Washington batted in Tess? Yes, it was. Pretty much. After that, since then, he hasn't played a test. Washington still averages 66 with the bat playing test matches for India. Much like the Tamil movie 96, an unrequited story of lost love to the century. (laughs) 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 With this, we are done with the review of the indoor test. As Ramesh Srivat says, most of our batters are always indoors and they never went outdoors. And hence, we lost the game. Like with every podcast episode, we have an undercard. The undercard for today is what's been happening in the WPL. As of the point of recording, the first three matches of the WPL have been completed. The promos and the marketing chatter was excellent and eye-catching. The build-up to the tournament was quite impressive, as has been the case for most IPL seasons. We had some movie celebrities kicking off the tournament, followed by the obligatory photographs with the mandarins and the trophy. Most relevant was the fact that across the board, players seemed to be absolutely thrilled to be part of this tournament. The young Indian uncapped crew clearly seemed to cherish the opportunity to interact with superstars of the sport. And the foreign players have clearly been bowled over by the welcome and the way this tournament has gone. If you look at their faces, the joy and the way the teams are bonding, it's fabulous. Although it is early days, it certainly augurs very well for the success of the tournament even though this season is going to be very, very compressed. BCCI actually has alleviated the strain by restricting the venues to within Greater Mumbai. However, the idea of teams playing back-to-back games without a rest day is a bit of a burden. At least two teams would have played back-to-back days in the first three days of the tournament. I think that's a little unfair. Having said that, the back-to-back games are at the same venue. So, for example, Gujarat played at D.Y. Patel in both their games. So they really wouldn't have had to go anywhere in terms of travel and hotels. The tournament itself got off to a fabulous start. The opening game had those trio of MI batters emulating Baz from the IPL opener from 15 years ago. The final margin of that game is similar to what happened 15 years ago. It was a great sight to watch Harman Preet Kaur batting. And then we've had two five-wicket hauls, one from a Philadelphia-born American and the other from an Irish woman who recently moved to Australia. Talk about a more global sport here. Indeed. Also, we had this unusual case of the latest two World Cup winning captains opening the innings together. And they put on a terrific show. Some things, however, stay the same. The RCB bowling being put to the sword. <laughs> Every one of them was carted around by all the Delhi batters on show. The top star of the first weekend, our has to be Grace Harris. What a batter, what a character. She even managed to provoke Ravi Shastri to say those famous words. Spec to the boundary like a tracer bullet in his inimitable style. I can't imitate him well. <laughs> and special mention to the new playing condition. The teams can challenge wides and no balls as part of their reviews. 
Not clear as to whether this is going to be the case for the IPL also. Maybe that is the case. But this would be very interesting. Having said that, the DRS reviews are very slow. They were really slowing down the game. They need to get better at that. But overall, I thought the first three games were watchable. And tomorrow, I guess, you're going to see the captain and the vice captain of the Indian national team matching up against each other. Ram, your thoughts? Yeah, so I couldn't watch the RCB Delhi game, what with the 2 a.m. start on the West Coast here. But it does look like, you know, as you described, you know, the RCB team, irrespective of gender, keeps on giving. It's a team that keeps on giving. Right? Mini collapses, choking. Yeah, we've got, got it all. We also had the fantastic Tara Norris show up in that game, but we'll leave it to Vijay. To me, that first game in the WPL was quite like a deja vu moment, right? You know, KKR batted first back then, won the game by 140 plus runs. Same thing happened here. Mumbai Indians batted first, again, won the game by about 140 run margin. So yeah, it's quite a bit of a deja vu. And of course, today's second game between Gujarat Giants and the UP Warriors, quite the game, you know. I thought to me, you know, more than winning it, it was a case of nerves for the Gujarat Giants sort of losing the big moments. 63-64 in the last four overs, I think it was, but there was a run out of Eccleston, which they missed. She she lost a bat and was just scampering to somehow get through to the other end and they missed the run out. And then, of course, Annabelle Sutherland succumbed to pressure, bowled. Quite a few wides, one of which was famously reviewed and turned into a wide, right? And of course, then there was the sealed that led to the boundary of the penalty mid ball and then in the ability to for Grace Harris to wrap it up. That was, I thought, a few moments on the field that the Gujarat team gave away. But you've got to remember, Annabel Sutherland is still only 21 years old, comes from the Sutherland family. They are basically the yes Chopras of Australian cricket. Sadly, dad James got wiped away by the aftermath of the famous sandpaper scandal but of course you know both son and daughter are very active playing for victoria and in annabel sutherland's case you know she she was very decent in today's game as well also has a record for being the youngest ever player to be picked up at the wbbl she was just 15 or 16 when she was offered a contract by the melbourne renegades yeah, finally, that uh, the DRS for wides and no balls, and that's going to be quite a debate as we go forward. I think Simon Toffel has weighed in with, I don't quite like this idea. I'm not sure why you guys are doing it. There's a point of view from him on that one. But you got to give credit to Grace Harris to be able to remember to do that at a crunch moment. Steal that run and that extra ball with six runs remaining of two balls, I think was a big reason why they finally managed to wrap the game. Yeah, excellent game. Great fun. Loved watching at least the two games that I watched. Vijay? Vasan briefly mentioned it, but the promo was really what got me going. Well-packaged promo playing to the sentiments of girls playing street cricket, which has been on the ascension in the past few years from everything that I hear. And really showing the aspirations of kids who pick it up, have a role model to follow. I think everything is kind of getting together at the right time for women's cricket, not just in India, but all over the world to get going. The efforts put in by our WPL organizers should not go unnoticed. And given the quality of the first three games, or at least, uh, let's say, four, five innings out of the six innings, having a cracker of a tournament. Speaking about the teams, at least the Delhi team seems to be living up to the pre-tournament reputation with the young ones delivering in the first game. And yeah, speaking of Sarah Norris, she joined the USA team when they had the T20 qualifier uh, down in Mexico and immediately made a difference. So 
it, it was kind of a good fortune for the team to include her at the right time and they emerged winners in that particular tournament of the Americas. But much like the Indian team, what that hit was the lack of batting power in the USA team, which they kind of got exposed in the U19 World Cup and elsewhere in the Women's World Cup as well. So a little bit of deja vu for me there. But yeah, she, being an associate player, probably many of the WPL players don't know about her and her, have not faced her that much. And it also was funny that she was the last bowler to be used by Delhi. <laughs> so probably even Delhi themselves were not sure about her. But glad that she had a big night. Moving on, Gujarat. I was hoping they would have listened to my prediction and become the CSK of this WPL. But no, they actually did the opposite. Yeah, they did lose a key player in the opening game and they had to kind of regroup. But I thought they had the game in the back in the second time around, but lost crucial moments. There is still time for them to bounce back, but they really need to rethink the batting order. I thought Snehrana coming in where she came in is probably a couple of places lower. She pushed, I'm forgetting the name of their wicketkeeper of the order, who doesn't have that much of... Sushma. Right. Uh... So, yeah, they, they seem to be trying out a few things, but you don't do that in the field. You basically try out before getting into the game. And although she also failed with the bat, I think Healy would be happy to start with the win. But all said and done, Kaur and Co, they have laid down the gauntlet in the first game. And the momentum truly resides with the Mumbai Indians now for the rest of the tournament. I would agree with you. Mumbai has laid down the marker as the team to beat. I really like that interview with Julan Goswami when she was very clear that they picked foreign all-rounders to work around with Indian batters in order to structure their team. And then they have got some two very smart uncapped bowlers in that Shakya Ishak mm. and that little kid from Assam. Pardon? Jinti Mani. Her name is Jinti Mani. Yeah, yeah, she was like lightning on the boundary lines. I mean, unbelievably good. Gujarat does have a problem. First, apparently they lost Deandra Dottin because their medical clearance paperwork didn't come through. So that's why Kim Garth came in. Yeah. And then, from what Rachel Haynes says, it looks like Beth Mooney is done for the tournament. If Beth Mooney is done, they need to find an alternate. I think the first indications are that Mumbai Indians has got the most balanced squad. For sure. But again, the UP Warriors didn't disappoint. They have depth. They bat very deep. They bowl very deep. Good start. Let's see whether they can keep this going. I think a week from now when we take a look at it, then we'll have a better feel of whether the start was continued or it will be a Prithvi Shaw-like start. With that, this is a wrap. Thank you, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Would love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. And also, please do tell your friends about this. This podcast, which is called Cricket with the West Coast Infidels, is available on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.